Good evening. Okay, so we're in John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. So if you open up, that would be really great. Um, So anyone like Middle Eastern food here? Anyone like Lebanese kind of hummus, uh, those kind of things? Anyone anyone like that? Yeah, a few of you, a few of you. Um, Well, as many of you will know, I was born in... Uh, I was born in uh, the Middle East and spent my childhood in Egypt uh, before going to the US and finally arriving uh, in the UK. Uh, Whilst I was in Egypt, I learned to appreciate very much the way that food played such a large role in festivities. Um, When my family moved back to the UK, we made friends with uh, many many Middle Eastern families um, who, being very hospitable people, often invited us uh, to have food together. we once were invited to a family, lived just five minutes from our house, uh, and basically this thing was a, a large feast. That's how you could describe it best. As soon as uh, you cleared uh, a small area on your plate, uh, immediately more food was thrown onto the plate. An incredibly generous host uh, would ask you if you wanted more, but not listen to your response, just give you more. Um, so. As a guest, you're expected to get the best, the most bountiful uh, proportions. Um, And I can say, honestly tell you, I've never been so stuffed in my entire life. Um, uh, I was so full, the extra weight I'd gained uh, made the five-minute walk feel like a five-hour hike. Um, But did I regret it? No, the food was absolutely amazing, so it was good. Um, Now we come to a similar situation in first-century Palestine. Uh, However... Um, we, we come to perhaps a more humble family. Uh, they run out of resources, um, and uh, therefore we can probably rightly assume that they were a little bit more humble. Um, now, if you'd open your pages to 1064, um, I'll be referring to that throughout the sermon, so uh, that would be helpful. Um, now, uh, having said that we're going to be looking at chapter 2, Uh, chapter 1 holds a lot of uh, rich uh, background and so uh, we're told in chapter 2 verse 1 that on the third day uh, this account took place Um, so what happened, what was this third day Um, if we look back into the the passage before we'll see that this is the first week of Jesus' ministry and that this uh, passage takes place on the third day after an event that, that happened, uh, on the third day after Jesus had met Nathaniel. Um, on the first day, we can see uh, in chapter 1, uh, verse 19 to 28, uh, John the Baptist witnessed concerning Jesus, telling the Jews uh, who John the Baptist was, who he himself was, and who he had come uh, before. Uh, on the second day, John the Baptist encountered Jesus referring to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, saying that he was the Spirit, uh, he saw the Spirit come down from heaven and remain on Jesus. Uh, so, being a pretty amazing week so far, things are building up. On the third day, John the Baptist refers to some of his disciples, uh, he refers them to Jesus, uh, and they join Jesus. Uh, one of those is unnamed, probably John, the author of our account here, uh, and Andrew, uh, the brother of Simon Peter, is the other. 
This is in verses 35 to 39, if you're following. Uh, on the fourth day, uh, Andrew introduces Simon Peter to Jesus, and he, jo- he joins this growing group. Uh, on the fifth day, uh, that's in verses 40 to 42, if you're glancing. Fifth day, uh, Philip and Nathaniel are recruited, and Nathaniel, somewhat skeptic, is blown away by Jesus' uh, supernatural uh, knowledge uh, and responds in f- verses 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Uh, in, Nath- uh, you know, in this, Nathaniel's clearly acknowledging where Jesus has come from uh, and who he is. Uh, on the sixth day, I guess they were traveling. It doesn't really say that. It says that on the third day, so inclusive reckoning, uh, we come to the seventh day of the week, and this is John chapter 2. Um, so after a very remarkable week, uh, lots of things happening, uh, after this dialogue with uh, Nathaniel, uh, Jesus, his mother, and his disciples, so probably the five I've just mentioned, uh, were, were at this wedding. Uh, so in chapter, in chapter 1, it gives a very precise location. It says Cana in Galilee. Uh, it also ends in the same way, emphasizing uh, where it was, uh, sandwiching, the, sandwiching the account quite nicely. Uh, it clearly indicates that this is a historical account and to be treated as one. Um, it's not just a nice story. It's something that actually happened. Uh, Jesus' mother, mother's role in the account is very interesting. Uh, first of all, you'll, you'll notice that she's not named, um, but uh, this is a common theme without, throughout John, and it's probably uh, used to distinguish her from the other Marys. Uh, for example, the sister of Martha. Secondly, she appears to have some role in hosting, knowing when they run out of supplies before the master of the banquet does, in verse 3 and then also having some degree of control over the servants who she commands to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. But actually, uh, with all the people invited, listed, you'll notice, importantly, that one family member is actually missing, uh, one that you would have thought should have been invited if Jesus and Mary were invited. Uh, There's no mention, you'll notice, of Joseph here. Uh, He he appears in the account uh, that Simon uh, brought to us, Last week uh, in the morning, Jesus at the temple, as a, as a teen or young teen, um, 12-year-old, uh, after this, he doesn't feature in, in any of Jesus' adult life. Furthermore, at the cross, three years from this wedding we're looking at, uh, Jesus asked one of his disciples to look after his mother. Um, therefore, there's, it's very reasonable to assume that Joseph is dead by now, uh, and that uh, his uh, oldest son, Jesus is the oldest son, is looking after the family. So this is where verse 3 comes in. Um, you know, this goes some way to explaining uh, why uh, Jesus' mother comes to him and tells her about this predicament. Uh, she's come to rely on Jesus. Uh, this is the first miraculous sign we see in verse 11. We, if you look down to verse 11, it says that this is the first miraculous sign. So it wasn't a case that Jesus was in the habit of conjuring up water from wine. And so Mary knew, oh, Jesus does a good water to wine miracle. So I'll go to him. Uh, it was just the fact that Mary uh, was reliant on Jesus uh, for these things. So how do we deal uh, with the issues face, we face? Uh, starting a new year can rep- represent, uh, pr- sorry, 
starting a new year can uh, present us with a number of challenges. Maybe you're out of a job or have uh, other mountains to climb. Uh, you can trust Jesus with these problems. And that's what this uh, passage is saying, I believe. Uh, you might not get the exact answer you're hoping for, um, as Mary got a rather strange answer, we'll see. Um, but still, he will come through. Um, and then the fact that this was the first miracle that he did, uh, there's, this should highlight the significance of the miracle. Why has he done a miracle now? Why has he chosen to do that now? Uh, well, why in Cana? Uh, and and what, does this, what does this miraculous sign mean? Uh, the exchange between Jesus and his mother, and then the miracle itself, works to show us why Jesus did what he did here. And so that's what I'll be looking at. First, uh, the interaction, and then the miracle itself. Certainly, Jesus' response to his mother's question would suggest that there's more depth to what is being said than one first imagines. Uh, first, this strikes us as a rather ludicrous answer. Uh, if we look down at the text, um, you know, dear, so she asks him, they have, she, she says they have no more wine. Jesus responds, dear woman, why do you involve me? Uh, my time has not yet come. Um, so it's a bit strange. It's a bit weird. Um, they've run out of supplies, and Jesus uh, is, is saying this. Well, I'd say Jesus often spoke uh, in this way, detecting more symbolism uh, in what was said than what the speaker first envisaged. Uh, so there's, on a symbolic level, there's a lot of richness in what is being said. Um, so bear with me and keep, and keep focused because there's rich stuff here. Uh, on a symbolic level then, the Old Testament often speaks of wine, linking wine with joy and God's blessings. Uh, therefore, on this level, the lack of wine represents the spiritual depravity of first century Judaism. Um, a point uh, that we will return to when we look at the miracle uh, and specifically the jars uh, used for the rites of purification or ceremonial washing, as it is in the church uh, translation. Uh, similarly, Don Carson, a theologian, notes that Jesus, is, Jesus remembers the Old Testament prophets, uh, prophets characterized the messianic age, uh, the time when one anointed by God would come to save Israel, would be an age where wine flowed liberally. There are numerous references to this, uh, you might like to note some of these uh, down. So one of them is Hosea 14.7, another is Amos uh, 9.13-14, to 14, and another is uh, Jeremiah uh, 12, uh, sorry, Jeremiah 31.12-14. And if you actually just quickly turn to Jeremiah uh, reference there, Jeremiah 31.12-14, it should be on page 792 in the church Bibles. Uh, that's my yellow slip gone. Uh, so this is said concerning the time when the anointed one of God comes. Uh, I'll read it for you. It says, uh, They will come and shout for joy on the heights of, of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, the oil, the young of the flocks and herds, they will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. The then maidens, young women, 
uh, will dance and be glad, young men and old men as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. So, then if we treat this wine as, a, as characterizing the arrival of this new period, which, Jesus, uh, which the Jews were waiting for, then Jesus is taking this hour, and inextricably he's linking it to himself. He's saying, my hour, my time, has not yet come. The hour of great abundance has not yet been brought in. So this hour, uh, this, this time or hour, as it might, I think hour is a probably better translation. It's not what's uh, used here, but it's um, maybe a better way of uh, talking about it. Um, uh, it, it's, it should be creating a, a question in the reader's mind as, as you go through. What is this hour? What is this time? Um, in chapter 7 and 8, we get more references to this time, um, or this hour, having not yet come. And then in chapter 12 of John's Gospel, back in John, um, we get uh, an answer to our questions. The hour is the time of Jesus' death. That's what we're told in uh, chapters 12, 23 uh, to, to 33. So, um, so in this sense, Jesus... When he, when he talks uh, and he says uh, the time of, you know, my time has not arrived, the time of my death has not yet come, uh, and this great spiritual bounty has not been unveiled, un, un, unveiled yet, um, Jesus is correct in saying that his time has not yet come. Obviously, it's a slightly convoluted way of um, answering uh, Jesus's, uh, sorry, Mary's request for wine. Um, but Nonetheless, he's correct. Uh, in that case, uh, we can wonder why Jesus' mother is then uh, ordering the servants, uh, tell him, uh, or saying, do what he tells you. Do what he tells you. Has she misunderstood uh, what Jesus has said? I mean, Jesus hasn't really given her uh, any kind of reassurance that he's going to do what, what she says. Well, no, Jesus is, you know, although speaking symbolically, he performs this sign to reveal his glory. Jesus demonstrates his divine authority through seven signs in John's Gospel uh, in order to teach us something. Uh, what is a sign if it does not communicate something to us? Okay, so in the UK, we love uh, road signs, lots of them everywhere, put them wherever we can. Um, you go to some other countries, you don't get nearly as many. Uh, Brits love them. Um, so, I don't know if you've ever taken time to admire a street sign before. Um, I suppose it'd be a bit weird if you did. Uh, but we, we just know what they mean, and we work on that basis. Uh, but if you were looking for a street sign, you might, uh, if you were looking at a street sign, you might observe that it appears to be perfectly cut, perfectly circular, uh, to be coloured a vibrant red uh, and have painted on it some very defined white text. Um, but if we stop at, that, uh, at just a point of wonder and awe and we think, oh, you know, it's quite, quite amazing, um, then we don't, we don't take notice of the significance of the sign and we don't heed, uh, we don't heed what the sign is telling us to stop um, and we, we'd be missing the point of the sign. 
so this is a very weird way of telling you that, uh, you know, let's take notice of this sign. Um, so what is this sign communicating to us? I believe it is telling us that only Jesus has the spiritual resources that will suffice. Uh, only he has what we need. Uh, in verses 6, uh, the use of the stone uh, jars then. Um, these were used for ceremonial washing, um, or as the ESV puts it, the rites, Jewish rites of purification. Um, so why did he use these? Was it just the closest thing to hand? Uh, did he just know that he was going to produce that much wine, so he needed those? Uh, you, could carry, you could carry on questioning. I don't think it was that, uh, that uh, offhand. I, I think he, he meant something with it. Um, so, even with, uh, so in verse 7, the filling of the jars with water, um, I would say it represents the uh, old Jewish order, um, which Jesus had come to replace. Uh, he's come to replace it with something uh, much better, uh, and that is wine. Uh, and in, in just you know, what they needed at the time. It's not just wine. It's not just the fact that he came to bring wine. He did come to bring wine. But it's what they needed as well. Um, the old law, that, that load of water, that was not sufficient. That was not going to do the job. Um, they needed the wine. So Jesus came to bring that. Um, so even with the completed law of the time, represented, represented here by the, by the purification jars, filled to the brim, without Jesus, there is no wine. Uh, there's only water, uh, and, and they had plenty of that already. Uh, so what they needed was wine. Uh, the resources are spent, um, and there's nothing to celebrate. There's no dancing, as was referred to in the, in the text uh, in Jeremiah, uh, and no abundance uh, poured out, as, as Jeremiah refers to it. But Jesus here provides what the bridegroom at the banquet cannot. Uh, not just wine, but also the best, as you'll see in verse 10. Um, without Jesus, we are spiritually barren. If you are here tonight and you would, uh, you would not call yourself a Christian, uh, then Jesus comes to fulfill the spiritual need in your life. Uh, and even if you are a Christian here this evening, you might not be feeling that as though uh, you know this to be true at the moment in your life. Um, you might have tough circumstances facing you tomorrow at work. Um, be reassured, uh, Jesus' resources uh, are bountiful, they're infinite, uh, and they will never run out. Uh, no matter what the difficulty is that you face, uh, you know, maybe redundancy, maybe laying people off, uh, whether it's difficult schoolwork, essays, a mammoth task of teaching and marking those essays, uh, Jesus will come through. Uh, Jonathan Mason this morning reminded uh, me of a brilliant verse in scripture, um, Luke 11, 9 to 13. It says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Uh, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will instead of a uh, fish give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, uh, will give him a scorpion? Uh, if you then, who are evil, uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Um, so, back to John, 
uh, and his closing remarks in verse 11, um, this, is, this was the first sign. This was the first of Jesus' miraculous signs revealing his glory. In John chapter 20, verse 30, we get the overarching reason for John recording these. Uh, that is, so that you may believe uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In Cana now, uh, the disciples, uh, Andrew, John, Peter, uh, Simon Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel, uh, they, they put their faith in Jesus. We can see that in verse, uh, in verse 11. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. They saw this sign that we talked about. Uh, They perceived Jesus' glory behind the sign, and they put their faith in him, or believed in his name. Now, what is your your response to this sign? Uh, Is it simply that you think you'd like uh, Jesus because he appears to be rather handy uh, in a tight spot? Uh, Or maybe you're just blown away by this super cool happening, uh, this... Uh, absolutely amazing supernatural experience. You think it's all pretty, pretty cool. Um, or maybe you've heard this preached on a thousand times, uh, so you've kind of tuned out. Uh, well, if that's any of those fit in uh, with what you're, what you're feeling, um, the, listen, because this is important, I believe. Uh, the message behind this sign is that we can put our trust in Jesus' infinite spiritual resources. Uh, He will not fail us. So whatever wells you draw from, they will not meet that need. The resources that are there will run out and will fail you. In your work, you might lose your job. Uh, You might fail to meet the expectations of your managers. Your job might disappear as technology develops and renders your services useless or unnecessary. Uh, Friends, although great, will fail you. The greatest of friendships are not as firm as Jesus' commitment to us. Family, uh, family will divide. Maybe your kids will go and be missionaries in Egypt um, or simply abandon you for university. Uh, Your parents will decide that now that you're old enough to care for yourself, uh, they can work more and progress further in their careers. Um, families break down, and that's tough. Uh, Jesus, Jesus uh, he has the resources which you need to pull on in these hard times. So the message tonight is this. Be encouraged. Jesus' resources are infinite. Ours are finite. But his will never cease. Make your New Year's resolution to spend more quality time with Jesus. And keep this New Year's resolution. Don't do like all the other ones. Um, and, you know, do this in different ways. Through, through, through his word, through, through meeting, meeting God in his word, through music, through art, uh, through prayer, uh, in order to draw from his abundance, because he has an abundance. We can tap into that. Um, and stop putting your hope in those other things and instead put your hope uh, and your faith in Jesus. Uh, Only he has the limitless wine you need to keep going. So let me pray.
Lord, we thank you for uh, what this miraculous sign points us towards. The fact that um, Jesus uh, came to um, bring us abundance. Uh, and that if we come to you, uh, we can draw on that abundance. Help us in this new year to draw uh, on, on that great spiritual uh, resources that, that you have. Uh, instead of relying on uh, worldly, worldly things to fill that, fill that void. And we pray this all for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.